0: Hope everyone has had a, a good new year. Um, I got a, someone sent me a, a picture last night that I was going to use as an illustration today, only to find out that it, the picture wasn't accurate. And the picture was saying that today was supposed to be the day that in Back to the Future, that Marty McFly went to the future. And so I was thinking about that last night. How, nothing's changed from 1985, everything looks the same um where's the flying cars and the 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 hovering skateboards and all those things And, and and then I realized actually it was the wrong date the person that sent me the picture then said hey oops that was wrong it's actually two years from now so we got two years two years to get the hovering skateboards and the flying cars and two years for the Cubs to win the World Series I believe and so we so we'll just see how all that pans out but I hope you guys had a good good new year and um and I, I do pray that uh, 2013 will be a year of um, of great growth and godliness in each one of our lives, of us corporately as a church, but then individually as well. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to begin this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. And we're going to read a pretty significant section of Scripture. We're going to read all the way to chapter 2, verse 11. I originally was just going to read a portion of this, but just... I really want us to get the whole flavor of the whole passage. I want you to hear the whole context of these words. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we trust that your word has an effect. It's like a surgeon's scalpel that can penetrate to the deepest parts of our soul and bring about great change. Father, we ask for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts to your word this morning. We want to be fully devoted to you with hearts and minds entirely set apart for your purposes. Lord, conform us to your character. Heavenly Father, conform us to the image of Christ. Conform us to the mind of the Spirit. Help us to see our need for holiness. Help us to desire holiness. Oh, Lord, may the desires of our hearts be solely the desires that are desires that bring you glory. Forgive us of our sin. If There be anything here that anyone this morning has that's just hanging over their heart, sin that's unconfessed. Or may they confess it right now. And may your word go forth and not return void. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I went searching this morning for some of my children's baby clothes. And so, because um, my wife has some of them stored away somewhere where, you know, that we can see what size they used to be. Now, unfortunately, I didn't find any of their clothes because I waited to the last minute to put this illustration in. But I found these clothes, which are my daughter's baby dolls clothes but they are they are real infant clothes and at one time my children wore clothes that were about this size now never quite this small because we had nice sized babies but but this is more of a preemie size i believe and but when you look back at the clothes that your children wore and many of you moms probably have some packed away in a tote somewhere for Safekeeping, so you can look back and remember. And you look at these clothes and you remember how tiny they were. And it brings you great joy as you look back and remember this. And it brings you great joy as you look at them and and you see who they are now and how far they've come. It would not bring you great joy if you were to look at these clothes and 14 years later realize they're still wearing these clothes. There would be something wrong if your child has not gotten any bigger. ...than this, as we talked about last week. And it would be foolish for a child... ...also to still desire to wear these clothes. It's foolish for a parent being foolish for a parent to say... ...Okay, Noah, go put your onesie on and let's go to church. Okay, that would be foolish. Okay, and it would be foolish for him to dress that way. And what I want to do with this series that we're calling Grow... ...is I really want to challenge us... ...because what you see a lot of times in the church is... People still continuing to dress like spiritual infants. We are called to put on holiness, to put on righteousness. Paul tells us to do that, to put off the old and put on the new. We were, we were made to dress differently. When we preached through Ephesians, we had a whole, I think three weeks were the sermons that were just titled that, Dress Differently. We were created in Christ to dress differently than the world, to put off the old and put on the new and so as we grow in Christ we should be putting on more and more and more of the image of Christ in our life it would be foolish of us just to be foolish of a 14 year old to wear clothes like this it's foolish to see Christians who haven't grown in their faith if they are Christians indeed they should be growing in their faith and the other thing is I'm really disappointed with and frustrated with a lot of churches out there today that are not asking people to put on the big clothes that are still teaching the the little things the shallow things and and not challenging god's people to grow in their faith and to grow in holiness so we're in the middle of a series right now we're starting the new year with a short series we had a short series for christmas we're gonna have a short series to start the new year and then we'll get back into verse by verse going through the life of christ But this series is called Grow, and and what I really felt the Lord impressing upon me was to challenge our church to grow in godliness, to grow in holiness, and also to challenge us to take up the means that God has given us for that growth. Namely, the Word of God, and, and prayer, and the spiritual disciplines, and also the church doing that together. And So that's why last week I gave you those variety of different Bible reading plans and also the the scripture memory challenge for our church body. And So next week, Matthew 28 is the verse for this week. And so next week I would like, hopefully I'll have a volunteer, maybe even one of the kids in the church to to come forward and to share that verse for the whole church. And together we we memorize these scriptures. So I want to see us grow. Now last week we talked about how growth is not optional growth is not optional but growth in what well as i've already mentioned growth in godliness or holiness today the message is entitled holiness is not optional god's people grow only in that they grow in holiness godliness or holiness is the measure that we have is the only thing we can measure our spiritual growth by My sincere desire is that this series will stir up this church and each one of us individually to lifestyles of holiness. To stir us up to love and good works, as the author of Hebrews says. My hope is that this series will inspire us to do what Paul tells us to do. To to put off the old and to, to put off that old self which belongs to our former manner of life... ...which is corrupt through deceitful desires... ...and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self... ...created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness... ...is the way Paul mentions it in Ephesians. So today the title of this message is Holiness is Not Optional. There should be signs of outward, outward signs of inward growth... ...and those signs should be holiness. There should be evidence that we dislike the things of the world... And evidence that we have an increasing love for the things of God. When we are saved, as we talked about in our Bible study earlier today, when we are saved, our disposition is changed. Our appetites are changed. And we begin to desire the things of God. And that should grow throughout our entire Christian life. We should be on a process of increasingly desiring the things of God over and against the things of the world. If we do not see the, our love for the world fading and our love for the things of God flourishing, then that indicates there's a spiritual problem. 1 John two fifteen: Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a problem. And Paul challenging Christians not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers Asks this rhetorical question in 2 Corinthians What partnership has lawlessness with righteousness? And of course, the answer is none. We are to put away the things of the flesh, put away the things of the world, put away the things of our old nature, and conversely, we are to put on holiness. Put on clothes that fit is what we should be doing. Or to use another illustration, um, if there's sports fans in here, the, the, the reality is, is that we've been transferred. We've been traded. According to uh, Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So, so we've been traded to a new team. So just as it would be silly for Peyton Manning to go out in his playoff game, whenever that is, I don't know if it's t- today or next week, to go out in his playoff game and wear a Colts uniform in that game when he's really already been... He's been traded to the Broncos. He's not supposed to wear the Colts uniform anymore. That's, that's us. We've been traded to a new team. We've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. And, and, and the clothing of darkness. Which are the deeds that this world loves. And we've been transferred to God's kingdom. The kingdom of light. And we, therefore we are to put on... The uniform of that team. We're to put on the clothing. And then we are to play hard... For our new team. And the clothing... That we're speaking of is holiness. Good works, good deeds, righteous living. And these things are not optional for those who have truly been born again. Holiness is not optional. And so I'm going to look at today's passage um, and bring out four reasons holiness is not optional. Now, this is a big passage of scripture. We could spend a dozen sermons just on this passage of scripture. So I'm not going to hit everything that we read today. I just want to bring out four highlights of four. ...reasons holiness is not, is not optional. But first let us define holiness. The word holy... ...occurs in one way or another in the scriptures... ...over 900 times. Isn't it amazing that... ...a word that is so prevalent in the scriptures... ...and a theme that is so prevalent in the scriptures... ...is so... ...ignored in the churches today? I mean... ...we don't preach very many sermons on holiness. We don't talk much about holiness... Yet it is one of the major themes of Scripture. It's a neglected topic. The word holy has several derivatives such as the word sanctification, which, being, which means being made holy. Or the word sanctify. The word saint. When we talk about God's saints, it's his holy ones. And it's referring to all those who've truly been born again. We are his saints. But what does holiness mean? Well, first let me tell you what it does not mean. This is what the world would have you think it means. It does not mean outdated prudishness or backwardness. It does not mean moralistic legalism. It does not mean a list of prohibitions and rules. That's what the world would have you think holiness is. The word holiness doesn't have good PR. It's not one of these words that you go out and talk to people about being holy and people go, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Matter of fact, churches rarely talk about wanting to be known for holiness. What do we want to be known for? We want to be known for relevance. We want to be known for innovation. We want to be known for changing the world. We want to be known for this, this, and this. But very few churches have within their core statement of beliefs or their core values a desire to be known as holy. Why is that? Why is it that God's people who have been called to holiness don't like to talk about it very much? Because the word itself, the world has has made it mean something that it does not mean. And the church has bought into that. Even some churches that do talk about the word holy or holiness... are, ...are sometimes presented as nothing more than unattainable perfection. And thus any attempt to pursue it is useless. And therefore it's unintentionally or even intentionally discouraged. But holiness in its proper teaching, in its biblical context... ...is none of those things... Holiness simply means this, to be set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. So to be set apart, to be separate, if you will. To be separate from sin. So that would be the negative meaning of the word, to be separate from sin. But positively, it also means to be set apart for God's purposes, for his use. So we use the word consecrated. So holiness has two two things here. One, a negative thing is to be set apart from sin, but positively to be set apart for God's glory. Remember I said last week, you're not only saved from something, you're saved to something. If you've truly received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved from your sins, but it doesn't stop there. You've been saved unto a life of holiness that brings him glory. So holiness is separate from sin and set apart for God. Now God himself is the ultimate expression of perfect holiness. Okay, He is fully set apart from all created things. He is totally unique and different. God's holiness is an absolute holiness. Matter of fact, he is holy, holy, holy. His holiness is beyond our holiness. We can be set apart from sin, but we're still created things. Well, God is even set apart from all created things. So he is holy, holy, holy. He, is, he has absolute otherness. He has total apartness from created things. And this God, because he is holy, has called us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different than the world, to be consecrated for his use. And this holiness to which we are called should touch every single part of our life. Christians should be affected by holiness in every aspect of their life. Holiness isn't just about I go to church on Sundays or I tithe a certain amount. Holiness affects the way I run my business. Holiness affects the words that come out of my mouth when I speak to my parents. Holiness affects the thoughts that are in my mind. Holiness affects what my finger does with the remote control when I'm sitting in front of the television screen. Holiness is to affect every part of our life. Holiness, therefore, is holistic. It affects all of us, all parts of us. And for the true Christian, holiness is not optional. If we truly are God's people, in God's service, in God's family, to live forever in God's presence, we have to be holy. You can't be in God's presence if you're not holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? Strive, you, work hard. Strive for holiness because without it, you're not going to see God. It's that simple. You will not see God without holiness. Now, if you truly are a believer, then God has doing a work in you, and he will take you down that path of holiness. But the problem is, lots of people who think they belong to God, think they can go on and live their life however they want to live it, and holiness isn't an issue. Holiness is an issue. You are on a progressive track toward holiness, and if you're not holy, you won't see God. You won't see God. Now, without a biblical full orbed biblical understanding of how God brings about holiness in those who are his, the very thought of us needing to be holy can either leave us feeling depressed or lead to legalism, which is unbiblical. But we don't want to be unbiblical. So let's jump in today's passage in 1 Peter. I want to anchor all these messages with a specific passage. Sometimes when you do a topical message... It's easy just to, well, I'm going to pick this verse, this verse, this verse. But I, even the topical messages at harbors, I want them to be anchored in a passage of Scripture. So that's why we read this lengthy passage of Scripture today. So let's look at what Peter has to say to us this morning. Now, Peter begins this section we read today with the word, therefore, verse 13, therefore. Meaning that he is giving an application based upon what he's already said. And if you look back at the first 12 verses of 1 Peter... ...you'll see that he's taught us that Christians possess a living hope... ...that Christians possess an indescribable inheritance... ...and that Christians possess an inexpressible joy. So based upon those truths, Peter tells his readers... ...and he tells us in verse 13 that we are to prepare our minds for action. We are to be sober-minded. We are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us... ...at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So get our minds in the right place... Be sober-minded, which also means to be self-controlled and to put our hope in God's grace. Our only hope for holiness comes from God's grace. And so the idea is here we're supposed to be sharp in our thinking. We're supposed to be self-controlled and we're supposed to find our hope not in us, but in the grace that God has given us through Christ Jesus. So with that in mind, he goes on to talk about holiness and he calls us to be holy. And there's four reasons ...that we should be holy, or four reasons that holiness is not optional. So let me give the first one of those to you this morning. Number one, God's character demands it. We are to be holy. It is not optional because God's character, His very nature, demands it. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance... ...but as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter here is quoting Leviticus 19, which is the great holiness code of the Old Testament. Now, as I mentioned last week, God's goal from the very beginning of creation was for man to image him and to bring him glory. He is holy, therefore he is calling us to holiness. We were created to image his holiness. To reflect his holiness. But sin has marred the image of God in us. But it has not destroyed it. It simply marred it. The image of God therefore has been marred in man. And all men have fallen short of glorifying God the way we should. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But the gospel now declares that those who have been united to Christ. Who is the perfect image of the invisible God. Are being transformed. Are being conformed to the image of Christ and thus are being restored to our original purpose, which was to image forth, to shine forth, to mirror the glory of God. You shall be holy, for I am holy, is what God says to us. Now, this phrase is intended to be a motivation for holiness. For I am holy can and does mean, on the one hand, because I'm holy, you be holy because I'm holy. But on the other hand, it has a deeper meaning because for I am holy also means to the extent that I am holy. So the phrase not only is the motivation for our holiness, but it's the standard of our holiness. We are to be like God. God is the standard. Now we cannot be like God in the sense of his absolute holiness, his separateness. He He has a unique ...type of holiness, but we are to be like Him that we are separate from this sinful world. We are to reflect Him as the moon reflects the sun. The moon is not the sun. But the moon has a certain amount of glory of its own that's dependent upon the sun. And so that's us. We are to image forth the glory of God. We are called to be holy. We are to reflect Him, but in order to reflect Him rightly, we must be separate from the world. We must be separate from sin... And we must be set apart for His use. That's our calling. That's our purpose. Now today in this world and even in the church, you hear a lot of people talking about a lot of different purposes for which we're created. And a lot of purpose statements for churches. As I mentioned earlier, there's purpose statements like we want to spread justice. We want to change the world. Those are not bad things. Churches should be spreading justice and ultimately should have an effect that brings change to the world. But rarely do we talk about in our churches that our purpose is to be holy. Ephesians 1, 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And so we need to make it our aim to be holy as God is holy, which means we need to know God more. We must first see his holiness if we are to be holy as he is holy. If we are to be like him, in that sense, we must know more about him. We must see his holiness. We must be like Isaiah. See the holiness of God and be changed forever. Do you remember, I think it was back in maybe the early 90s, or may have been the 80s, the, I think it was Gatorade commercials that would tell you to be like Mike. Michael Jordan is the Mike that they were speaking of. Do you remember the commercials? be like Mike, be like Mike, and they had a little tune that went with it. And uh, now if you went and took that commercial and played it for some kid in the remote jungle of Africa or or, or somewhere and, and said, hey, be like Mike, they said, I don't know who Mike is, I don't know what you're talking about. And why would I want to be like Mike anyway? Who is Mike? You know, there are parts of the world that don't know who Michael Jordan is, believe it or not. And so we can't be like God, be holy as he is holy, unless we Immerse ourselves in his word to see his holiness, to witness his glory in his word. And so we need to pray that we'll see God more and more, that we'll know him more and more. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, he says he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We must see God and know him more fully. And when we do, like Isaiah, we'll be rocked to the core and we'll be changed forever. Perhaps instead of desiring to change the world, we should want God to change us first. Before we have this great mission statement, let's go out and spread justice to the world. How about let's let God's justice rock us to the core so that we understand what holiness is all about. So that we'll have a holy awe And reverence. And live that way. Verse 17. says if you call on him as father. Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear. Throughout the time of your exile. It is healthy. For a believer. To have a reverent awe. And sincere fear of God. We must have it. We are. Like Isaiah was before a holy God, we are to be in a state of wonderful and fearful awe over his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. And consequently, we should have a very real and reverent dread over the fact that we ourselves are not holy at all. And thus we need his grace and his mercy. We can't just come to God lightly. God's holiness is both intimidating and attractive. That's the beauty of his holiness. It's intimidating and attractive. But how foolish it is for someone who claims to be a Christian to presume that he or she can go on living like the world and somehow be a child of God. That is the that is someone who doesn't fear God. Hebrews 12 that we read earlier without holiness no one will see the Lord. That verse, I hope, caused you great discomfort in here this morning. It should. It should stir up a a holy awe and fear in our hearts that God requires holiness. The fear of God should drive foolish thinking away from us that we can just live like the world. Paul tells us on the one hand, a very great and precious promise that There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We love that. Those are verses we love to quote. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, who cares how I live? I'm in Jesus, right? That's a foolish way to live, friend. That's a dangerous way to live. Because that may be evidence that something's not right in your heart in the first place. You see, Paul goes on, he doesn't just say something like that and put it on a Hallmark card and send it off to us. He goes on and he says, he gives us warnings and tells you not to set your mind on earthly things. Matter of fact, he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, is what he says. If you live according to, this is right after he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 of that very chapter, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What is putting to death the deeds of the body? That's growing in holiness. It's defeating sin. It's putting to death the things of the world that are still clinging to us day by day, killing sin. That's the evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. If there's no desire to deal with the sin in your life, and we all know what our sins are that we're struggling with, and if you have no desire to deal with it, and you just say, oh, well, I'm saved. There's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. My friends, the Spirit of God does not speak that way. If the Spirit of God is in you, He will not let you rest about that sin. He will continue to probe you and convict you and tell you to put that sin to death. And if you don't do it, you will grieve the Holy Spirit, and you yourself will be grieved. There is no such thing as carnal Christianity. There is just carnality and Christianity. And there are two different planes. We cannot live like the world and expect to truly be believers. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, Paul goes on to say, are sons of God. Meaning that those who don't live by the Spirit of God, who don't put to death the deeds of the body... ...therefore are not sons of God. The Bible is full of such warnings. Let us, let us fear God this morning as we hear these words. Verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible... ...in the case of those who have once been enlightened... ...who have tasted the heavenly gift... ...and have shared in the Holy Spirit... ...and have tasted the goodness of the word of God... ...and the powers of the age to come... And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once more the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Hebrews has some really strong words to say about people who have... Played the Christian game. They've tasted a little bit of the good things of God's people. Of being part of the covenant people. But truly they were never part of the covenant people. Because they didn't have a heart that had been made new. They were never truly a part of God's people. And then they fall away and go after the world. As has happened to many people. Including a guy by the name of Demas. Remember Demas in the scripture? The Bible says that Demas was one of Paul's co-workers. And then it says he went after the things of the world. If that's happening. According to Hebrews... There's no way to restore that person again. That is a fearful thing to consider. That is a fearful, fearful thing. This does not mean that true believers, those who have truly been united to Christ, can fall away. But what it does mean is that there's many who have been self-deceived and who have even tasted the things of God. And if they fall away, they have proven not to truly be God's children. And that should stir up a good kind of fear in us. A fear that leads us to self-examination. A fear that leads us to pursue God more. A fear that leads us to put our hope in God more. And our dependence upon God more and more. So we have warnings in the scriptures like this. And we have great promises like Romans 8.1. Warnings and promises. Both are meant to increase our holiness. The promises and the warnings. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Since we have these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I love that verse. Really, I hadn't really thought about that verse very much before until I was preparing this sermon. But Paul's here. We think of promises as taking us away from fear. Oh, just put your hope in God's promises, and you don't have to fear about anything. But you know what Paul says here that the promises. Or what lead us to cleanse ourselves... ...but also that, that holiness is brought to completion... ...in the fear of God. Don't take lightly God's holiness. His character demands holiness. And it is in Christ... ...that the glory of God and His holiness is made... ...manifest to us most fully. John 1, 14... ...and the word became flesh and dwelt among us... ...and we have seen His glory... Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we look to Him. That's how we increase in holiness. We look to Christ, as Hebrews 12:1 says. We lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And we run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That looking is a looking of faith putting our hope in Christ, and it's also a looking of example. How does Christ want us to live? We look at how Christ lives his life in the Gospels, in all his word, and we say, God, I want to be like that. I desire that. Transform me. Make me into the image of Christ. And that's how we increase in holiness. The second point is simply this. Holiness is not optional because God's grace guarantees it. For those who are truly in Christ... God's grace guarantees that we'll be made holy. God's grace guarantees it. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father... keep calling on him, that's putting your faith, trust, hope in him. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of exile... Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways... So here's the grace. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers... Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God's amazing work of saving grace is the foundation for our holiness. Apart from God saving us, purchasing us, ransoming us, we have no hope for holiness. If you're trying to be holy apart from God's grace, that's called legalism. But God purchasing us, ransoming us, pouring on his grace upon us is the foundation and the source of our holiness. It's our hope. His purchase of us through the blood of his son guarantees that we will be holy. People that have been ransomed by God will be holy. Because we've been purchased with the most valuable thing in the universe. Namely, the blood of the second person of the Godhead. The precious blood of Christ. God will always get a return on that investment. When he purchases people, those people will be holy. But the problem here, the the tension I'm wanting you to, to understand that I'm trying to communicate this morning, not too effectively sometimes I feel, is that there are many in the church that think they've been ransomed, but they haven't. So what's the evidence that we are God's people, that we've been ransomed, knowing that that God's grace will take his people toward holiness. The evidence, therefore, is that we are putting aside the things of the world, putting those things off, and putting on holiness. That's the evidence that we truly are God's children. If we don't see that, and I'll tell you, as a pastor, that's what I'm looking for in my life, in my children, and in my congregation. Do I see this man or this woman having victory in their life and now having a greater passion for Christ and defeating sin? Because that's how I know. You may have given me a very good answer on your membership questionnaire and fooled me and fooled yourself. But the evidence will be in your holiness of whether or not you truly belong to God. The grace of God in Christ is our greatest confidence. He's poured out the blood of his son to ransom a people for himself. Thus our holiness is a guarantee. That's why the son came. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last, ha- last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter seems to be trying to tell us or to help us see the great lengths God went to to make you and I holy. Nothing less than the coming of the very one who created the universe into our world to die for sinners was necessary for you and I to be made holy. Consider the way God did this. Consider the cost. It ought to motivate us to live holy lives. But as Peter states, it's not only our motivation, it's our hope. We put our hope and our faith in God to make us holy. Grace received by faith. ...is the ground of holy living. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are some of our favorite verses in Protestant churches at least. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And sometimes we stop right there and we think that works have nothing to do with it. But if we go on and we read the next verse, it says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them if God prepared them beforehand that means he's going to make sure they happen and we were saved we were bought by his grace through faith a gift of God not by our works so that we could do good works the holiness is the evidence That the grace has been received by faith. Peter even states in this very passage later on. That our holiness will be the evidence that we've been born again. Okay. So a little bit later on here near the end of chapter 1. And as we get into chapter 2. He talks about having been born again. Not of perishable seed but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. So. So based upon that fact. But you've been born again, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You know, I, I'm one of those who, you, you hear people say, I don't, I, don't, I don't like Christians. And I don't go to church because Christians are, what, what's the word everyone likes to use? The H word. Christians are hypocrites. And sometimes I'll say, yeah, you're right. Christians are hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. But you know what? Why do we admit to that? Yes, true, we all struggle with different areas of our life. Therefore, to a certain degree, we are hypocrites. But hypocrisy is not to be seen in the church. The fact that people have seen hypocrisy in the church is a terrible, terrible statement about the state of holiness in God's church. I don't want to be a church where I can just say, oh yeah, yeah, come on, we're all hypocrites, be a hypocrite with us. I want to be a church that says, no, come. We're trying to kill hypocrisy at this church. You see Christians that are hypocrites? Yeah, I see them too. I've got hypocrisy in my life I'm dealing with, but you know what? I want to kill it. I want to get rid of it. I want to set it apart. Come to Harbin's. That's what we're doing. We're killing hypocrisy. Put it away is what Peter says. like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The evidence, again, that you are born again, you've been born anew, is that you want to eat. I want God's word. I want to grow. We heard a devastating story this week of a of a, of a defax case where there was a mom who had starved her daughter, and the daughter ended up dying. It's a horrible story, but one of the parts of the story says that. That when they, were walk, they would walk through grocery stores and the daughter was so hungry, she would rip uh, food off the shelves and just open it up and start eating it. And the mother complained about this. She actually complained to authorities that her daughter was doing this. But it was her fault. She was starving the child. And, and you know what? Christians should be wanting the word of God. And if you're in a church, if you're in a people, if Harbin's is a place where you're not getting fed, then, then you should feel like that girl felt. i got to get some food in me. I've got to have the word in me. True Christians will feel that. I can't tell you how many times I've met people who said, listen, I've been going to such and such church, but I have not been getting fed, and so we want to come here. Now, I hope by God's grace, I'm not trying to toot our horn, I hope by God's grace and God's grace alone, we will feed the flock and that we'll feed the flock more and more. There's more we can do because we're not doing enough. But my point is that there's so many churches out there where people are saying, I'm not getting fed. We felt that way once early in our marriage. We were at a small church and just didn't feel like we were getting fed. And the evidence that you're truly a Christian is that you'll say, I can't put up with it anymore. i got to get the food. And you'll start ravaging the spiritual shelves of the community until you find food. Because you got to grow because Christians grow. Growth is not optional. Holiness is not optional. Christians Grow. I wish there was a spiritual defects. No, because defects doesn't do a good job mostly. I wish there was a good spiritual defects that went around and said to churches, "You are committing spiritual child abuse with these fluffy messages week after week after week. Stop it. I wish. But let us fear God. we don't have the word of God dwelling abiding good enough here so far be it that we cast stones at other churches corpses don't desire food living things do if you desire to intake the things of God it's the evidence that you are alive and that you are growing the evidence that you've been born again so holiness is not optional because God's church requires it you see God's not just saving individuals. He's not just sanctifying people. His purpose is to sanctify a church. A nation. A people group for himself. A nation of saints. That's what Peter goes on to talk about. Let's read this and just make a few quick observations here. Starting in verse 22, I want to go back to verse 22. He says, Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere, what does it say? Brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So holiness is a community project. And the scriptures tie holiness with love together very much. Especially if you go to 1 John. All throughout the New Testament, really, though, holiness is tied to love. Holy people love one another. It's that simple. Love for one another is the evidence that we're saved, the evidence that we're born again, and thus that we're being made holy. And it's in community with other saints, other holy ones, that we're stirred up to godliness, Hebrews ten twenty four. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. There's that connection again, love and good and holiness, Love and holiness. I want to make sure we get that connection in our church. Because there's a lot of people that act holy or think they're holy and they don't show any love towards people at all. That can't be. Holiness drives our love. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is community project. That's what holiness is. God's people are called to be holy together. That's why accountability and discipleship and confession of sin to one another is so important to a healthy church. And so I'm glad that we've begun our women's and men's discipleship groups and that some people are connected with them. But I'm disappointed that more are not. Because that's got to happen. That's true love. True love is for me to look you in the face and you to look me in the face and say, Brother, you are sinning. And I want to hold you accountable. I want to help you through this. Brother, how are you growing? How's the word of God fleshing itself out in your life and doing that together? That's got to happen. Now, Many of you may be in other accountability groups with other people, maybe even connected with other churches. But it's got to be happening. It's got to be happening in the church in order for us to grow. Because God's dwelling place requires... We are God's dwelling place. We are God's temple, and it requires holiness. Verse 5, you you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we're God's house, but we're also his priest. It goes on to say, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ so we are set apart we're consecrated to be God's dwelling place on earth as his spirit resides in us individually and collectively and we are his ministers on this earth ministers of reconciliation and we cannot do that without holiness We cannot expect God's presence to be with those who are not holy nor can we expect God's people to carry out his mission if we're not holy if we're not holy we're not God's people Titus 2, 4 says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who are zealous for good works. And Peter goes on to say in verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, the difference between a church and just a gathering, a social gathering of people, is holiness. There are some great groups out there Civic groups that are doing great things. Church isn't just a civic group. Church is a people who are being made holy. We're doing that together. We're holding one another accountable. We're seeing God's holiness increase in us individually and collectively. We're becoming a holy nation proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our holiness is not optional in us because God's character demands it. God's grace guarantees it. God's church requires it, and finally, God's glory is manifest in it. This brings us full circle, full circle, why were we created? We were created for God's glory. So let me close with this, 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your, what, good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever and we do that as we are made holy. We do that as we are made holy. We glorify God in grace bought, grace enabled holiness and it's our joy to do it. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Another sign that you are a believer is that you Enjoy holiness more than you enjoy the things of the world. My friends, holiness is about God's glory. And we enjoy holiness because we want God to get glory. And we enjoy God getting praise. As I prayed at the beginning, may we decrease, may he increase. That should be the anthem of our life and it should give us great joy. John the Baptist didn't say that begrudgingly. Oh man, may he increase. I guess I'm just going to have to decrease. Decrease. It was his pleasure to fade off into history and lose his head so that Christ could be elevated. That was his joy. And that should be ours. Do we live like the world or do we live like Christ? If you've been born again through the Spirit of a holy God and you have that Holy Spirit residing in you, you can't help but become more holy like Christ. Growth is inevitable. Holiness is inevitable, and God will get all the glory. So what do you want to be known for? What do you want Harbin's to be known for? Do we want to be known for a place that... We'll just stick with this because we just don't want to offend anybody. And we want to meet people where they are. And we want to be relevant to the culture. So we'll just stick with this. Or do we want to be a church that says, no, we're called to holiness... And therefore, we're going to push each other. Scripture memory. We're going to get this word in us. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to move forward by God's grace in holiness. we got to decide who we want to be. True holiness. True holiness. I'm not talking about morality here. Morality declares, look at me. Holiness says, look at God. And when the world sees a church that's really acting holy... They see that, and they know not to give credit to the church. The Bible says they'll see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and close with a word of prayer, and we'll have one final song we'll sing, and then we'll be done for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just ask for your grace and your mercy to go forth in this church, and this body, Lord, I don't want to. I really just. I, I I fear. I fear you, Lord. I fear your, the power of your word. And the responsibility that I have to communicate it clearly. So I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that we're preaching morality, and legalism, and that we got to do things in order to to get to heaven. I want people to hear that the reason we challenge one another to live holy lives is because the holiness is. Well, number one, it's what we want to do if we're truly Christians. And number two, it's the evidence that we've been born again. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us find the right way to communicate those things. And in, in the right way is the biblical way. And sometimes we like to live in a, in a soundbite culture where we just have little snippets of Christian truth that 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 ripped out of their context can lead us to wrong conclusions. So, God, we want all of our thinking to be Totally connected with and immersed with, immersed into your word. So God, I pray that you forgive me for any missteps I've taken this morning. We ask and we trust and we believe that you are going to send it forth and bring about holiness in the lives of your people. So we ask that you do this, Lord, for your glory, not for ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.